Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. I am super excited because today I have a special guest with me. I have Claire Goodwin. Claire is a registered nutritionist, exercise scientist, and trained teacher in natural fertility. Claire has had her own journey with PCOS and now helps other amazing women to reverse their PCOS symptoms, which is just incredible. So welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much. Did you want to start off with giving us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and your own health journey that you have been on? Absolutely. So as you said, yes, I have been diagnosed with PCOS. Um, This was when I was in my like mid-20s. I'd actually struggled for many years prior uh, with um, irregular cycles. I didn't have a period for about three years. Um, I was also continually gaining weight, so it would just be this never-ending couple of kilos every year that didn't really match my lifestyle so at this time I was already a qualified nutritionist next exercise scientist I was also really active in fact I was like competing internationally for New Zealand in triathlon before that in athletics and so it just didn't really make sense to me mm-hmm. uh, and also was still getting acne in my mid-20s and that's when I finally after many trips to the doctor finally found one who who said to me actually I think I know what's going on here let's run some tests and then when she did she called me back and what she diagnosed me with was probably the thing that I least expected in my whole entire life which was pre-diabetes and I was like whoa this like absolutely makes no sense to me at all I'm an international athlete I'm a qualified nutritionist um and she said we've also got PCOS and that's why you've got these regular cycles she wasn't particularly good at helping me understand the link between those two I knew that I had these two conditions um but I I really didn't understand why I developed this I felt like a massive failure like to the point where Mm -hmm. I didn't actually practice nutrition for many years because I was like whoa like how can I work with people when I can't even manage this myself Uh, and I struggled still for many years after that to really get my symptoms under control didn't really get any help from the doctors I was going to they were just like you just need to try and lose a bit of weight even though I was at a completely normal like body weight it wasn't that but I was like yeah I've been trying that for like 10 years can you tell me how like I just want I'll follow the recipe just give me the recipe and so unfortunately this led to me you know doing multiple different diets and um and really struggling with like my relationship with food and also with exercise so you know doing a lot of exercise because I thought well if I'm what I'm doing now is like not keeping me from gaining weight and developing insulin resistance and pre-diabetes then literally I need to do more and so it was I was doing ultra marathons and you know because the 10k or even half marathon didn't prevent the um, pre-diabetes I thought that I needed to do more but actually felt like that was actually making me sicker and sicker and uh, my symptoms were getting worse so it sort of led me to hit rock bottom to really say well if no one's going to help me no one's going to give me the answer I've got to go and find the answer myself and that's when I ended up studying further in functional medicine and really understanding the link between insulin resistance pre-diabetes and PCOS and also stress and PCOS as well and then realizing that I did have to make a change not do more but actually do less and tweak what I was eating although I was eating a really healthy diet in terms of what I'd studied at nutrition at, at university for nutrition it certainly wasn't what was supporting my insulin resistance. And when I made a few tweaks, that's when things all started to come together and symptoms started to improve. And I actually saw that a lot of the symptoms I've been having in terms of like really uh, like hangry attacks and sugar cravings weren't my lack of self-control, but were actually due to my blood sugar dropping and driving me to go and find those foods. And so it just enabled me to 
be able to have a much better relationship with myself and with food because I saw that it wasn't my fault, but actually what my body was driving me to do. And when I could change what I was eating, I didn't have those symptoms anymore. And I didn't have that constant battle with food that I'd had for the last, you know, 10 years. Mm. What a like amazing journey that you have been on. It just goes to highlight and show that there is such a generalized approach so often to these type of things and or health conditions that we might have and how doctors can so quickly jump to well let's just lose weight let's just put everything back down to going on to the next diet which as you know and you live through was actually quite detrimental for your health and for what your body was going through because in your mind you were like well if I exercise more or if I try this next diet this might be the thing that's going to, to help me and it absolutely wasn't no and that is what we think because all the information we get is in order to lose weight you need to eat less and exercise more and so you restrict more you exercise more and it just leads to this really vicious cycle of in my experience like restricting and like literally I'd wake up every Monday and I'd be like right this is the week I am going to stick to my diet like I vividly remember I was like 24 it was my first years working in like my professional um, as as a young professional, and I was living in my flat with with five friends, and I would like wake up in my room, and I can so clearly see this, and I'd be like, right, Claire, this is the week you're gonna stick to it, and it would like I would do that, and I would I would um, rearrange meetings. I would I'd ask people to put meetings in the afternoon, so I wasn't sitting there at my desk doing an Excel spreadsheet and when those intense cravings hit. And if I was in a meeting, I then knew I couldn't go to the vending machine and it would keep me away from that. But it was like every ounce of my willpower to try and do that. And of course, by Wednesday, when I could kind of like no longer like override it, that's where I'd end up. And then I'd end in this cycle of being like, oh my God, like, why can't you just stick to this? This is the problem. Like, you know this. And I even got to the point where I was so embarrassed. One of my colleagues, she was like, in hindsight, not a very nice person, but she was like, man, for a nutritionist, you eat a lot of sugar. And I was like, oh my God, I've been found out. And this is, you know, like, I just felt so mortified, so mortified. And I just thought, man, how like, I know better than this. Why can't I just stay away and just eat this? And so it just shows you like how much brain space that took up in my life right like and and just the just what now not having that what that the freedom that that allows me to do to focus on other things that are so much more important than not eating sugar you know like that was literally um the such a huge part of my 20s Mm. and you're right that mental capacity that was being put towards food, what you can have, what you can't yeah. have, what yeah. you'll have tomorrow, what you had earlier today. It's just taking you away from being able to live every other moment of your life or put back towards career, social events, whatever it is as well. And so I know that you mentioned a couple of the symptoms that you that you had, like acne, the irregular periods. What are some yeah. other symptoms that pop up for women who are struggling with PCOS? So those things that I also talked about in terms of like hangry attacks and sugar cravings mm. also really, really common. Um, you don't, they're not exclusive to PCOS. You can have them without having PCOS, but they are also really common. Um, weight gain, especially around the middle section of your body is also really common. Um, more, a more well-known one is like a regular hair growth. So, and a lot of people think, a lot of people, when you say PCOS, that's often what they think of is the irregular hair growth. And that is the case for about 75% of people. This did, I didn't have that symptom, but a lot of people do. So especially if it's around the chin, jawline, on the chest, back, buttocks, um, that is really common. Um, hair loss is another one, so especially like in the crown of your head or like a part widening or in your hairline. Um, trouble conceiving, and that all comes back down to uh, period irregularity which is actually ovulation irregularity mm-hmm. so they're probably the most common symptoms but other less known less uh, understood conditions can be sorry symptoms can be depression and anxiety binge eating disorder um, really poor body image and also psychosexual dysfunction as well or um and so yeah there's a lot of other things that are connected with pcos but you might never actually be asked about 
Yeah, so interesting. And even some of those things that you just mentioned, I, like I've never heard be linked to PCOS in the questions of this might be something that you actually have. So it goes so much deeper than just the tip of the iceberg. And if somebody's listening to this podcast being like, wow, I experienced so many of those symptoms, how do you actually go and get tested to know that this is exactly what you do have? So PCOS is, is one of those syndromes. So syndromes is like irritable bowel syndrome and premenstrual tension syndrome. If anyone's had one of these before, you'll know how hard it is sometimes to get diagnosed and also how frustrating once you do get a diagnosis that you're like, oh, finally, there's a name for it. But that doesn't actually then lead mm. to any kind of like real treatment plan. So, and that's because they're just a constellation of symptoms that are grouped together to give us a name so that doctors and medical system can kind of better identify what's going on. So it is a bit of a wishy-washy thing that not everyone fits the diagnosis really clearly. And sometimes it can just be a best guess effort by your doctor as well to say, I think this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. But generally it's the, the accepted diagnostic criteria is that you have two out of the three of these conditions. One is that you have symptoms of high testosterone. So that would be the acne around your chin and jawline, the hair loss on the top of your head or the facial or body hair growth, or you might have high testosterone in your blood work. So when they take bloods, they might find free, high free testosterone. Um, secondly is irregular cycles. And third condition is the cysts on the ovaries. But you don't even, the new international guidelines for diagnosing PCOS state that you don't actually have to have a scan to diagnose PCOS. If you've got the other two, then you don't even need it. And all the cysts are in PCOS are just baby eggs or follicles that the way that I describe it is that they haven't quite hatched when you didn't ovulate. They sort of became discarded and that's what appears on the ovary. But these are not large ovarian cysts like the ones that burst. Those are completely different. You can have both, but the cysts and PCOS do not turn into those large ovarian cysts. So um, that's often where people get a bit confused as well, is that they might have had a cyst burst or a large ovarian cyst and they think that they have PCOS. Um, and similarly, people get told, you know, maybe when they're having a scan, oh, you've got a lot of cysts on your ovaries and they think that they've got PCOS, when actually it's really common about 25% of all females have follicles on their ovaries. So, you, yeah, you can have those without having the syndrome. So really, I think, that, yeah, I think that the focus needs to go away from like the cis part of PCOS and into more like the metabolic reproductive effects of PCOS and understanding a lot more how like blood sugar and insulin then affect your hormones, which then, uh, get, you know, give you all of those symptoms or contribute to all of those symptoms. Yeah. Okay. And if you weren't to get diagnosed and you were to go living your life with having PCOS undiagnosed, what are uh, the chances or what can happen? What are the disadvantages of going undiagnosed? Yeah, so I think that later on, most of the time people get um, diagnosed when they're trying to conceive. So that can be mm. one of the challenges. And this is very common, especially if people have been on hormonal contraception for a lot, lot of their 20s. So often people get put on hormonal contraception in their teenage years because of like acne or irregular cycles and and then they stay on that and then they come off it and then find out that their cycles are actually really irregular um so that can be a really a really common time um or the other thing is if you don't get diagnosed people don't often realize that they have got some insulin resistance which can then lead to the development of gestational diabetes and or type 2 diabetes so that's probably the most common long-term problem but also cardiovascular disease and that's linked to the higher levels of testosterone and insulin um, so yeah so it's really important to get on top of those parts so that later down the track you're not at a greater risk of these things um, but so many of like those are kind of probably the big ticket items but there's lots of other little things like that a lot of people with PCOS might be, have really bad PMS or PMDD symptoms because their progesterone is a little bit low in that week before their period. And so then they just go through life with this awful week or two weeks before their period where they're crying uncontrollably, feeling really depressed, really down. It really affects everything about their life. And they just think that this is them and this is their lot and they've got to deal with it. When actually 
They don't. There are so many things that we can do about it and, and or having these massive sugar cravings or this um, awful relationship with food that they think is just because of their lack of self-control and not realizing that it is their hormones that are driving this. And I think those are the bigger risks because that's, as we just talked about before, that's the mental load, right, that of these things that if we could get rid of that, what could those people do with their lives that they're not doing at the moment because so much of their mental capacity is taken up with what they're eating or what they're not eating. And I think that is the really sad thing. And then also the constant stress of if their cycle is irregular, like where is it? What is happening? When's it coming? And those, if it's irregular and then you've got those two weeks of that PMS, then that's that confusing, conflicting information of, well, is this me or is this my PMS? Is my period going to come in two weeks? Like that, that is a lot to be thinking about. And then because when you're going through that as well, typically that leads into unhelpful body image. So then you're looking in the mirror being like, why did I think I look so different two weeks ago compared to what I'm looking at now? What is happening? Which then makes you overthink food. Like that's just absolutely mentally exhausting to be going through that every single day and for things to just be chopping and changing constantly. Yeah, you're so right. That mental load of trying to manage a chronic condition and, you know, just wondering and not really getting the answers about why or just kind of being fobbed off and said, well, what are you worried about? Like, just go on the pill, like, it'll Mm -hmm. fix it. And, you know, that is really, you know, that takes up a lot of mental space as well, Um, let alone the mental load of going through fertility challenges. I mean, that is like the extreme end of it too. So yeah, there is, I think that while yes, avoiding type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes and uh, heart disease is really important to think about, the much more pressing issue is the opportunity cost. What else could we be doing with our life and how much more could we be enjoying living in the moment rather than the the taking that space with either thinking about what we're eating or what we're not eating or um, our symptoms and how we can improve them or who we need to go and see and just really trying to manage all of that part. Yeah, I could not agree more. And so I know that you've touched on a bit between like blood sugars, insulin, the binge eating and having those sugar cravings. I would love for you to touch on that and the stress that that can put on your body and how all of that impacts PCOS as well and vice versa? Yeah, so about 85% of people with PCOS have insulin resistance and insulin Mm -hmm. is your blood sugar hormone. It's what keeps your blood sugar level and helps your body to store additional extra blood glucose for use later. Um, What happens in insulin resistance is that your cells um, don't recognize that same amount of insulin. So your body is having to produce more and more and that in PCOS what that contributes to is that then drives up testosterone and then and then also in many people um, body weight especially around body fat storage especially around their midsection and then all of those things then also it's like a vicious cycle they all contribute to each other so increased insulin or increased testosterone makes us insulin resistant in females uh, and males, it's actually the opposite, which is really interesting. This is a genetic difference between males and females. And it also, so that increased insulin increases testosterone in its own right as well, and then increases body fat, and then that reduces your insulin sensitivity, and then that increases testosterone. So it's this really vicious cycle that each part kind of um, feeds into another, and there's no mechanism in our body that stops that or reverses that and says hey this is getting too high insulin's getting too high we need to actually fix this and actually make our body more sensitive to insulin it can't do that on its own it kind of needs us to intervene and do something about that similarly there's no sort of recognition in the in the female body like whoa testosterone's getting way too high we need to kind of stop that it just keeps on going and and that's why things just kind of get worse and worse and worse. And so really what we need to do is sort of stop that flywheel and start to reverse that to start to improve. And this is where there are many ways we can do that, both through changing what we're eating, how we're moving, making sure we've got good vitamins and minerals, making sure we've got great sleep, stress management, and there's also um, medications that can help as well. And so it's really up to the people. My job is to help women understand what's available to them, what the pros and cons are, what the risks are and benefits, and then allow them to make that choice about how they want to do that. 
but there are multiple ways we can achieve that. Mm -hmm. And so then balancing those blood sugar levels in turn is going to help reduce a lot of the intense sugar cravings and the binge eating that women are experiencing as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that a lot of people don't realize that binge eating disorder, a, a big component of that is blood sugar instability. It's one of the big driving factors behind that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Cool. So what a lot of people don't realize is that one of the big driving forces behind binge eating disorder is actually blood sugar irregularity. And so what often happens is that when our blood sugar, well, when our blood sugar is low, that is a, it's a physiological response in our body to go and find things that can bring up that blood sugar pretty quickly. And that's a survival mechanism that we have in place. So our body is going to drive us to go and find the highest sugar uh, foods that we can. And sometimes high sugar, high fat is the like really palatable thing. So that's what will go and force us to do to bring that blood sugar back up because it does not like to have low blood sugar. And so when we have this low blood sugar, that is going to be the response. Your body is going to drive you. So no matter how much self-control you have, you will only be able to put that off for, for a very limited amount of time before your body overrides that and says, this is something we, you need for survival and it will drive you to go and do that. And that's why it's so hard to avoid. Um, and often it will also lead us to eat more than what we normally would. So we have this, um, it feels like kind of ferociousness of like, I must get that up now. You might also feel like you're a bit shaky, jittery, lightheaded, are some of the symptoms that people can experience as well with low blood sugar. But just this overwhelming need to eat this food and often quite a lot more than what we normally would in quite a short period of time. The thing that changes it from like, sort of this getting your blood sugar back up to sort of more binge eating disorder is when then uh, the guilt and shame kind of follow after that. And then what often happens is when that comes in, then you'll lead to more restriction. And mm -hmm. so thinking, okay, well, I'm now, oh my God, I've had this binge. I've eaten two packets of biscuits and a cake of chocolate uh, and a pizza. And now I'm not going to be able to eat for the next, for the rest of the week. Or tomorrow I'm not going to eat until 3 p.m. And then I'm only going to have a Diet Coke and a salad. But the problem is, is that when you're on this blood sugar roller coaster, what's going to happen is you've just eaten all of that sugar. And so your blood sugar is going to rise, but then it's going to come down really quickly after. And so this is why I call it the blood sugar roller coaster, because literally it's like down in the depths and then up sky high and then straight back down and then up sky high. And so it's really hard to get off that blood sugar roller coaster, especially if you are then restricting afterwards, because your blood sugar is going to drop even more. So this is why it's really important to recognize this pattern. And instead of going to for the restriction and, and um, it's actually trying to stop that, get off that roller coaster. Um, and this is where we can eat, you know, use different nutritional strategies to get off that roller coaster so that you're not getting into that low blood sugar, which is then going to um, predispose you to a binge. Mm -hmm. And I guess as well, showing up and actually consistently eating and eating enough as well. For a lot of women, I think underestimate, underestimate how much our bodies really, truly do need to function at that level that they're supposed to be functioning at. Absolutely. You're 100% right there. And I think this is especially hard for a lot of my patients who have struggled with weight um, gain all their life and been told, by, on many occasions by many different medical practitioners who they're told to respect that they need to lose weight and the way to do that is by eating less and so therefore that is what they think they need to do and and of course when they have these periods of binging then they think well oh my goodness I can't I have no self-control and this is all due to as well that the media representation of people that are at a higher body weight is that they do not have any self-control or that they mm. have kind of caused you know, the, where they are at the moment. And that's just not true at all. And so I, this all leads into them thinking they need to restrict further. And then that leads, you know, that kind of further uh, leads to the progression of that binge eating disorder as well. And especially the guilt and shame that um, goes with that. So yeah, definitely the, the first thing for anyone that's suffering from this is 
to understand that and understand it's not your fault. This is what your body is driving you to do because it wants you to bring that blood sugar back up and you are not the cause of that. And the best thing you can do is actually at your after the binge, at your next meal, have or even after the binge go okay that that's fine that happened now I need to find something that's like high protein and high fat to then stop my blood sugar from rising as high and then I really need to focus on having the next meal again with some proteins and fats to try and stabilize that blood sugar so I'm not going to go into a blood sugar low again and then tomorrow, instead of restricting, I need to get up and I need to have a great breakfast. That includes, again, some proteins and some fats. Uh, and then I need to have a lunch. Instead of thinking, okay, I can't eat tomorrow because I ate so many calories today, you know, I have to restrict myself tomorrow. And I only have, like, as I said before, a common one that I see a lot is Diet Coke and a salad, um, which is just, um, or other kind of like low calorie foods that, that are, are just not going to fuel you properly. Um, and yeah, and then also I think the the second part of this is really fixing this before we focus on weight loss because um, it is so important and impossible to do both at the same time. We really have to focus on this first. And even if weight loss is a goal for you, that's absolutely fine can totally help with that but we have to fix this first because if you're especially if you're weighing yourself all the time is that this is only going to lead to much poorer body image which can then also when you do have that low blood sugar and you do have a binge is that's going to only fuel that fire of the guilt and shame much more and predispose you to continuing on that binge cycle Mm -hmm. and the stress that that would put under your body through as well and I know for you earlier you mentioned that on your journey you thought that you had to keep exercising more and more and so the 10ks and the half marathons turned to the full marathons etc etc what is the link between the exercise and balancing out blood sugars and how do you go navigating your way through understanding that less is sometimes more when it comes to the exercise part of this journey yeah, so I think that the link is that, so there's a few links. One is that if you have poor blood sugar control, you probably have a little bit of insulin resistance. And this this means that you're not going to be able to store glucose in your muscles as well, which then going to mean that um, endurance exercise is actually harder and you'll often find that you get more tired or it predisposes you to more kind of like restricting binging or you might find that you're still gaining weight even though you're exercising um so that's one link the other link is that really high intensity exercise especially those like hour-long kind of hit training sessions can also um, mean that your stress hormones can get quite high and when your stress hormones are high the link there is that your body thinks that you need, you're going to need to run, jump, fight or flee to get away from your whoever's attacking you or chasing you. And so it dumps blood sugar into your sugar into your bloodstream to help you do that. But then you don't actually need that. You're just sitting at your computer answering your 346 emails and getting stressed about that. And so your body then has to take that blood glucose back up. Um, and if it's doing that all the time, then it might also lead to some insulin resistance. So I think that that exercise, um, if we flip the script though a little bit, we instead we go, right, what can we actually do to help improve our blood sugar control? And actually the best exercise can be doing some resistance training as that helps our muscles to become more sensitive to that insulin and also um, we can do some like low intensity things, just like walking and just like, and so I think it's a big thing to think that we need to burn more calories, mm -hmm. but actually we need to think, get away from thinking about exercise in terms of burning calories and instead think about how can we make our body more sensitive to insulin. And that's going to be the, the thing that we focus on when it comes to improving our like PCOS and also insulin resistance and also um, recovering from kind of a bit more of that maybe it's not just disordered eating but a little bit of a disordered relationship with exercise as well especially if we're using that as a bit of a purge so um yeah I think that's a lot of what I do with patients is really focusing on and it's not all people a lot of people it's the opposite they're really struggling to do exercise so we really tailor for them and what they're going through but 
those that are really struggling with doing a lot of exercise and not seeing improvements, that's when we'll take that back and say, right, let's have a look at what you're doing. Let's have a look about how we could maybe utilize exercise um, to help your body. And if we need to maybe take a back step, if you're doing quite a lot at the moment, and that often less is more in, in those people. Mm. It's so interesting because it's it's challenging so many different mindsets that we have been set up with through our entire life, right? Of that, you have to be exercising really hard and that exercise has to be this really structured and rigid, intense workout that you have to spend an hour or so in the gym or going to the hip class or doing all these things. And for a lot of people, it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to make a habit around that, but it's drilled into us that if you want to live like this ideal healthy lifestyle, that's the way to do it. And for a lot of people, you know, move, any movement is good movement and gardening, roller skating, like doing activities that we used to love as do, as children is actually still exercise and is still movement and still gets the blood pumping and the muscles working. It doesn't have to be that rigid, structured, intense exercise or workouts that we think it has to be. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be punishment. You know, like so much of what we've been led to believe is that if we're not sweating you know like well that that is the uh, the gauge of a great workout is that you're sweating and you're exhausted and you're lying on the floor better yet if you're vomiting that's even better or if mm. and same thing about when I was an athlete it was a it was a marker of success to lose your period because that meant that you were going hard enough really and and so so much of our mindset needs to shift to even that exercise doesn't have to be done all at once. You know, five minutes a few times a day is as effective as 20 minutes all at once. Yeah. Right? And and so, yeah, this has been quite a big change for me having had a baby 18 months ago and not having that available time to go and do a workout is that I now have to get kind of more snack exercise in. Like we'll, you know, get home from work and daycare and we'll go down to the beach for her to have a play and I'll do some squats and lunges and step ups and it might only be for five minutes before she decides to run run to the road and I'm having to go and like retrieve her and we're having to like go to the park for the next like 10 minutes and again I'll do that there so it's it's been a real mindset shift for me as well to see that that is equally as valid as doing it all at once um, and even though I have been preaching this for quite a while, it's actually been amazing how much it's taken my brain to try and re reconfigure a lot of these patterns that have been drilled into me as well. Even though yeah. I know like logically that this is the case, it's so hard, uh, just to, just to rewire that brain to actually believe it. Yeah, hundred percent. I always explain to my clients of it's like you have an onion and you just are going to keep peeling back the layers again and again as you just keep getting deeper and deeper and realizing that there's always these little things that are going to pop up from our life experiences because it was a core belief for us for so long. And those core yeah. beliefs don't just change overnight. You have to constantly work on it. And as your life changes, you know, you, you different opportunities or different challenges are going to pop up that you're going to have to navigate your way through. Absolutely. That's a really good analogy. Um, because I think you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't all come up at once in one consultation or we like, oh, these are all the beliefs I have. It kind of like takes a change in, in your environment or situation for this to pop up and you go, Yeah, what do I think like that? Like what is it about that that I don't believe that I can just do five minutes while I'm waiting for? like my breakfast to heat up in the microwave and that's just as good as doing 20 minutes and get up at 5am and you know like slogging myself at the gym for half an hour yeah 100 percent. and so for those who do struggle with pcos is it possible for them to get to a point where they no longer have hair falling out where they have regular cycles where you know they don't have acne anymore is it possible for them to get to that point where they have reversed a lot of the symptoms that they experience yeah, it is really possible. I think that um, just not to set anyone up for unrealistic expectations, mm. there are some symptoms that are a little bit harder to reverse. So if someone has a, has had a lot of hair loss, then it may not be possible for them to ever like get back to the hair that they used to have before the androgenic alopecia just because of testosterone is so 
or especially the DHT form that it turns into is just 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 so harsh on the hair follicles in terms of killing those. So that, but the um, so what we're trying to do with different symptoms is especially like hair loss is trying to arrest it as quickly as possible and then uh, and then and then get back to regrowth as quickly as possible as well. Same thing with hirsutism, the facial and body hair growth. I think that it's probably unrealistic to expect that you're never going to have any facial or body hair again after you've had some hirsutism. But what we see is we see a significant slowing of growth and then Again, it's not just here, the hair, because it's what happens is that your little peach fuzz, your bilis hair, turns into a terminal hair when it's exposed to that really potent testosterone or DHT. And once it's turned from a bilis to a terminal, it can't reverse that, mm-hmm. right? So we actually have to kill what's there. And the only way we can do that is through laser hair removal or electrolysis, right? Mm-hmm. And so just plucking or shaping is not going to do that. So that has to be done. But then, so what our goal is, our goal is actually to bring the testosterone down. So then we have limited new growth. So that's what I always tell my patients. I'm like, if your if finances are tight, save the money for laser hair removal in about six months. Let's work on getting that testosterone down as much as we can and then do it. And then what we'll see is um, is much less hairy growth is what we're aiming for. And in the meantime, what we can see is we can see a slowing of growth. So when you are mechanically removing it, whether that's by plucking or shaving or waxing, then what, we, what we're probably seeing to know that we're on the right track is a slowing of growth between those sessions. Mm-hmm. So that's it. But in terms of like, period regularity, weight loss, acne, those are all entirely reversible um, and or much more manageable, um, especially when it comes to like weight. So if someone has been at a much higher body weight for, you know, 20 years, then, you know, getting back to, or you know, losing 100 kilos and being able to maintain that is, is going to be much more difficult because their body is always going to want to get back to maybe a higher body weight set point. But it is... Um, it is definitely realistic for them to uh, to reduce that by 50% or 60% and, and be able to maintain that really easily. And I think this is a big issue with the dieting industry is that it's it's led to women to believe they have to be eating 1,200 calories to maintain body weight. Yeah. And I mean, every one of my patients that I see, I actually have to get them to eat more before we can even lose weight. Um, and so I think this is a big problem is that even if someone's lost weight, they've been set up for failure to keep that off because no one's helped them actually then eat more so they can maintain their weight. They're, they're led to believe they have to just eat 1200 calories and that's it. And if they decide over Christmas to have an extra wine and a small handful of chippies, well, that's their problem. It's their lack of self-control and that's why they put that 10 kilos back on. So it's just a like, it's a really, really terrible um, industry and thought process that that's what has to happen. I don't, don't even think that it's necessarily the industry to blame, but it's like a lack of understanding education about this that. Yeah, so just just so that everybody know that's it's not the case, and um, and we can actually get your metabolism up so that you are um, you can eat a really wide variety of food and a much larger quantity of food and maintain that weight really easily. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's so important to share shine the light on this because you're right. And I used to work in one of the world's largest weight loss companies for a period of time as a nutritionist. And I did, I saw all of that. I saw the impact that it has and how they would feed into women's insecurities and how they would make the women feel like it's their fault and it's their problem that they have to keep coming back because they can't keep the weight off. And it's just, it's not the case at all. And the more that we can bring light to this and get women to understand that you're not meant to spend your whole life always striving to weight loss for weight loss and that the number on the scales or the number in your clothes doesn't define who you are as a person. It has nothing to do with your self-worth. And that's not a normal way of living life, always stressing about your weight and always striving for that. There's so much more to life that you get to do and enjoy and live for. And same with with our hormones. And I think it's important that we even channel that in this podcast on the PCOS that, you know, if you do have the acne, if you do have the heavily, if you have the irregular cycles, if you have extreme PMS, 
it's not normal and i think it's so common in our life for these type of things to be just accepted it's like oh yeah like i also have really bad period pain or yeah i have really bad pms but so does my mom and so does my grandma so it's just in the family and so we almost normalize it it's just like oh it just is what it is which then obviously stops a lot of women from digging deeper and getting to the root of it it might be we're just normalizing it for the sake of normalizing it yeah but also too I think the um the fact that they might have voiced it before but haven't really been taken seriously by their doctor who's been like oh well that's just kind of normal and it's like no it's not and so I think like just realizing that um I always say that just understanding that maybe your doctor's not the best person to ask about everything and or if they give you an answer Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you have to accept it it's like um I'm doing been renovating a house at the moment and the analogy that I use is it's like asking your builder to wire your house. He'll be like, oh, well, you know, you just do this and this, but actually has no real idea. He kind of knows because we've seen the electrician do it, but don't really understand. It's the same thing about asking your doctor about anything kind of more lifestyle related, right? They just haven't had the education. They don't, they haven't had mm. the training on that. That's not part of the a medical degree. And so same thing as asking nutritionist about pharmaceuticals. It's like, we've got some idea, but gosh, nowhere near if you went and asked your pharmacist what that is. And so it's about asking kind of the right person. The person that you ask can only give you the information that they have in their toolkit. And so you just have to think about who am I asking and have they had the education in order to be able to answer that in a valid way um, or give me the help in a valid way. And so you you don't have to accept that answer. It might be about asking someone else who might have a different perspective or a different information than they could bag to offer mm-hmm. you. Yeah, not taking that no for an answer because I remember on my journey, I cannot tell you how many times I was told to just like when my period, I didn't have my period, it was we'll just go back on the pill. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's still coming. Oh, you don't actually have to bleed. It's all good, you know? And I went from doctors to doctors to doctors to women health specialists to Chinese doctors to acupuncture. Like it was so much for me to get an answer that I was like, okay, this is, this is the one that I actually feel like is getting to the root of it all. And yeah. it, it is a bit of an exhausting period to go through for some period for some people they don't have to go through that many they will find a doctor that is right for them and does listen and gets to the root of it which is amazing but if you feel like it's not the answer that you want you don't have to just go with that one answer you can keep working till you find one that feels right for you yeah exactly so what would you say is probably the top most common misconception or myth that you do actually hear about pcos Really good question. I would say that probably the big, biggest myth is that the pill is going to regulate your cycle. Um, mm-hmm. The pill is going to regulate a bleed for you, but that but it's not going to regulate a cycle because a cycle kind of begins with ovulation and the pill's job is to stop ovulation. That's how it works as a contraceptive. And so it can never regulate a cycle. It's not that it's bad. Um, the pill can be really helpful for managing hirsutism and other things about PCOS. Um, and it's it can be a great contraceptive, but it just depends on what your goals are. And I think it's more mostly about the informed consent of that and telling you all of the pros and cons rather than just giving it as your only option, as you said. Like the, you haven't got a period? Okay, we'll go on the pill. It'll yeah. like, yeah, it'll regulate your cycle. So I think that the terminology needs to be changed around that too. It'll give you a regular bleed, but it will not fix the problem and therefore when you come off the pill you're still going to have the same symptoms I think that if women heard that they would then say ah okay I get that now I understand that and now yep I'm I might still make that same choice because it's going to help with my hirsutism but I am not led into a false sense of security about this that when I do come off when I'm 28 that I expect that everything's going to be hunky-dory so I think that that's probably the biggest myth um that I hear that just yeah that that just needs to be a bit corrected and just change the language slightly would lead to a much better outcome for all people Mm, so they're aware that it's masking it might help some but it's masking others which are going to just still be there when you go off the pill later yep yep and that's fine that's totally okay if that's a decision that you want to make but it's just that full kind of transparency and 
and, and yeah, informed consent. That that's what you know, rather than go on the pill to regulate your cycle and you think, yeah, I go on it, I get a bleed. Oh, it's all been fixed. And then only find out much, much later that that's not the mm-hmm. case at all. And it's as bad, if not worse, when you come off it. Mm, yeah, I love that. I think that's so powerful just to have that extra education for women to truly know and understand what they're about to go through and what how it's going to play out later on for them. And then they, they get to make that educated decision for themselves. Yeah, and literally it's a one-word change and one extra sentence, right? And that's why when people say, we don't have time in a consult to explain everything, it's like all I'm asking is for one word and one extra sentence, and that's it. Yeah, crazy. Now, I do have some quick-fire questions for you. Are you ready for these? Mm-hmm. Yep. What is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up? Have a great breakfast. That includes proteins and fats. Yep. That is it for me. That's my Moment. non-negotiable what is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life? Really good question. I've been thinking about this since you sent this through. And um, I think that it is, it really depends on, I hate this when we're saying depends on it, but just in terms of the audience that I know that we're talking to, mm. it's really about that mental load. And yeah. I think yeah. the one thing is realizing that this is not your fault or your lack of self-control, this is what's happening to your body. And if you can give yourself that compassion and, and that can go so far to towards recovery that you won't even know yourself in a few years and you will look back and you'll go, wow, I cannot believe that I used to feel like that or think like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the respect has to go both ways, right? Like when you respect your body, your body starts to respect you back. And you're right, that self-compassion, I think, is something that can be so overlooked so easily. And it's something that can make such a big difference just in your day-to-day life. Absolutely. It affects everything. You know, like if you if you're in that berating yourself, you know, it's so much harder to make great choices because you're already in that thought process mm-hmm. of I'm useless, I don't, you know, like, why did you do that? Oh, well, it's, you know, you've ruined it now. You might as well just kind of like not even bother, right? If we can change that pattern, it can change so much about not only how we feel, but the actions that we take. Mm, Absolutely. And so what is your favorite quote and why? A quote that I saw recently said, it's not only children who grow, parents grow too. As much as we watch to see what our children do with their lives, they're watching to see what we do with ours. I can't make my children reach for the sun. All I can do is reach for it myself. And I thought that was such a beautiful way that not to make anyone feel guilty about maybe what they're doing in terms of how they're living their lives, but just to really not get kind of caught up in being the perfect person or the best, but just to be the best version of ourselves, because that is what inspires our children and other people, not just children, but also people around us maybe to reach for that themselves. Yeah. Wow. That is such a powerful message to put out there and like children, you know, they're little sponges as they grow up as well. And it it would just be so empowering to be able to change the pathway forwards for them, but you're also growing yourself whilst you're doing that, which is really cool. Yeah. And I think too, just in terms of like the conversation we're having here about, you know, when I see my daughter now, I'm like, I don't want her to go through what I went through or especially when it comes to kind of like relationship with food. Like I was really lucky. I was brought up in a household where my parents were very secure around their eating and food was always plentiful and things. And, and I don't want her to internalize any kind of like bad habits around that. And it's amazing how, you know, she now loves smoothies for breakfast because that's what I often have. And it is amazing. Mm -hmm. I think that the number one reason she loves them so much is because that's what she sees me eating. And so if we're not modeling that, then we can't expect them to do that. Um, And that's just one, you know, kind of like look at that quote, but I also thought that it just applies to so many, um, so many different facets of our lives. Yeah, I completely agree. And one question that I do love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or the one thing that you'll be most proud of? And this could actually be something that you've already done, or it could also be something that you're hoping to do in the future. Probably my biggest achievement, and this is my one like passion in life, is helping 
women with PCOS understand their bodies better and developing that compassion, realizing that these symptoms are not their fault and that a different life is possible for them and can be achieved really easily with just a few tweaks, not completely overhauling their entire lives and cutting out lots of food groups, but actually just making a few small tweaks that are really sustainable can just change their entire projection in their life. Mm, I think one of the key things that you said just there was not cutting out food groups, only doing a minor few tweaks, because that literally could be something that is holding so many people back from diving into this journey or, or wanting to discover more of that fear of what if what if I have to stop eating x y and z or what if I have to dramatically change all these things in my life and at the end of the day like you said it doesn't have to be that complicated doesn't have to be that hard it's about working with your body with your lifestyle rather than against it yeah absolutely you've nailed it did you want to tell the audience what you have coming up if anything exciting for them or where the listeners can actually go to find you yeah, so we've actually just, the most exciting thing is we've just launched our new app, Ovi, for people with PCOS. So yeah, Ovi is the first platform in the world to help people with PCOS by giving you hyper-personalized recommendations for what you can tweak about your diet and lifestyle that mm-hmm. is going to help to reverse your symptoms and also reverse those underlying drivers like blood sugar and insulin resistance or stress or inflammation or thyroid conditions. So we're working with on the kind of the root cause rather than just band-aiding the symptoms. And that way, not only in seeing improvements in your symptoms, but also freeing up that mental space in your brain and also uh, protecting you from the long-term complications of that as well. So that's the most exciting thing. So you can find us either the Ovi app at ovi.io. And um, what I love about that is you can just go onto the website and start the questionnaire and that'll tell you what these drivers are. So if you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, maybe I've got some like blood sugar insulin things going on because I resonate with lots of those symptoms. Do the questionnaire. It'll tell you. Mm. Like we can see that without having to go and do a bunch of blood work, we can tell from your symptoms and, um, and other like, indicators in your body what's going on um and then you'll know and then you'll go okay cool this is a thing for me or it's not so be the first place to start yeah i love that and i'll put all the links in the show notes so that everyone can head over there directly and i'll put your instagram in there because obviously you share so much over on that platform as well so it would be a good place for people to head over and connect and just read through everything and stay in touch with whatever you have coming up, but what an incredible platform, what an incredible app that you've created and just space for women to go to, to get that clarity and feel heard and understood and actually have some answers for them to navigate their way through all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, Claire, so much for coming on and sharing everything that you have with us today. It's been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for having me, Michaela. It's so wonderful. And thank you for everything that you do, especially for highlighting the uh you know talking about disordered eating and the connections Mm -hmm. and just that there is hope for so many people that are going through this at the moment and sharing your personal story to inspire others as well what an incredible episode today with claire if you currently know somebody who's struggling with pcos then i would love it if you could share this podcast episode with them i would also love to connect with you so just head over to my instagram which is kj wellness with three s's and send me through a dm because i love connecting with you all but i hope you enjoy the rest of the day or the night whenever you are listening to this episode and i will chat with you in the next one very soon until then you take care bye